Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Midtown Atlanta, it's time for Top Docs Radio, brought to you by Medical Association of Georgia. With over 7,800 physician members, MAG is pleased to advocate on behalf of Georgia's patients and physicians. Visit mag.org and on Twitter at mag1849. Join the conversation on Twitter at Top Docs on BRX. What's up, everyone? It is C.W. Hall, your host here on the Top Docs Radio Show. Thanks for making us a part of your day today. Over the course of the year, we've been doing our series with the Medical Association of Georgia. We've had the opportunity to take a look at some of the changes that have been put in place by uh, the Affordable Care Act. Among some of those changes, uh, we're dealing with how the ICD-10 codes and and things like that were implemented. Uh, We started taking a look at some of the new uh, changes around reimbursement for physicians and getting into MACRA and the uh, uh, merit-based reimbursement type programs that we have now that are based more on quality versus on quantity of procedures and things like that. So we have the, the good fortune today of having with us in the studio Elizabeth Woodcock of Woodcock and Associates, and she is known to be a leading third-party payer and medical practice management consultant here in Georgia, working with medical practices, dealing with these types of issues, helping them become prepared so that they can implement and indeed thrive within these new payment models. I appreciate you taking some time to sit in with us. My pleasure. For the folks who um, I'm sure they most of us have, have heard of MACRA at this point, but just, just real quickly, talk about what MACRA is doing, because I know that the final rulings that we were kind of waiting for came out here recently in October, so we can do a quick refresher on what MACRA is all about, and then we'll get into some of the changes that started going into place officially back in October. Yeah, great question, CW. Interestingly enough, though, MACRA has actually been around since April of 2015. It is indeed the Medicare Access to Care and Chip Reauthorization Act. And it was heralded at its time. It was actually called the Doc Fix Bill because it fixed the mistake that we had in the professional services industry in terms of Medicare reimbursement. It fixed this crazy thing called the Sustainable Growth Rate or the SGR. But of course, once you see a fix, uh, the replacement was, well, a little bit of a challenge. And we're just coming to terms with what that replacement actually was. As you alluded to, we got the final rule in October just a couple of months ago. And it's certainly been a lot just to go over those thousands of pages (laughs) worth of documents and really figure out what the coming year is about to bring us. Well, it it clearly illustrates the value of having access to someone such as yourself, because just trying to go through and actually read, much less interpret what you're reading, just the volume of work you have to do just to dig into the new requirements and the changes that they're bringing would (laughs) be very difficult for someone who's also trying to run a practice at the same time. So thankfully, we have folks like you who can kind of break it down for us. When it comes to the quality payment program, what exactly are we talking about there and, and how is it changing things? Sure. Well, the quality payment program is actually the name of the reimbursement structure that the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, the federal agency that was, in essence, charged with implementing the law called MACRA. So the program that they put into place that they executed, they called it the QPP. Well, maybe just another acronym for us to know, but uh, it's it's here and it's here to stay. (laughs) Not going to be delayed this time. And by that, 
you know, my comment, there, there was some thought that maybe things would be delayed and they kept saying, no, no, as of October, things are going to be firm and here we are. And that is the case. So I would assume there's no way that I can opt out of this. I'm going to be participating in these programs one way or another, it would seem like. Yeah, it's a great question. Now, they did give a um, a very, very large exemption to uh, physicians. And in fact, it's going to impact a third of physicians in 2017. And so that was a really big deal. And that is if you bill less than $30,000 in total allowed Part B Medicare charges, okay. then you actually can get out of uh, the quality payment program. That's going to be a pretty small practice, I would think. Well, it's by eligible clinician. And a couple okay. of comments there um, in a city like Atlanta, where we have a lot of Medicare Advantage products, that's actually Medicare Part C. And so while it's not benefited physicians historically to have Medicare, what we would consider managed care, if you will. It actually will in this case, because if you just have a tiny bit of traditional Medicare, then you're actually out of the QPP altogether. And and you're saying then that could be a, a wide spectrum of, of physicians? CMS is actually estimating that one third of eligible clinicians are actually exempt. And for them, I mean, does it just mean that they can just go about practice as they do every day, do they don't have to necessarily worry about reporting or things like that? Or do they still need to submit, I guess, periodic reports? Actually, uh, no documentation is required. You remember the comment that I made about MACRA, where the fix on the SGR was made? Mm -hmm. It was replaced by a flat half percent increase year over year. And the physicians who are exempt from the quality payment program will, in essence, be on that track to enjoy just really, I mean, it's relatively flat reimbursement, but a half percent increase each year. No reporting requirements. Now, the, the, the quality payment program I know goes into effect in 2017, but is that January or is that is there a date in the year that they need to be thinking about as a practice? Yeah, great question. So the first uh, comment I would make is to actually be exempt, you're going to need to uh, do a, in essence, a NPI lookup. We anticipated that that would come out in December, but it looks like it's not going to make it by the end of the year. So in January, the first thing that I would do is I would take my national provider identifier mm -hmm. and I would go to the CMS tool and see if I don't even need to worry about it. And that's that 30000 dollars. And there's a couple other exemptions. If you're a first year to Medicare, for example, or if you see less than 100 Medicare patients per year. So a lot of physicians aren't going to know the answer as to whether or not they're exempt. So that would be my step number one. Do I even need to worry about this? And then for those two thirds of clinicians who do need to worry about it, you do uh, really, really want to focus on reporting for 2017 because that is the first reporting year. Now you can either go really one of three ways. The first way is you can say, you know what, I'm going to just go all in. I've been doing this stuff, the meaningful use, PQRS, all this kind of stuff. So I'm just going to absolutely max it out. And then there's two other options. One is a partial reporting option. CMS has pledged to give you some sort of, uh, they use the term modest payment increase. We don't exactly know what modest <laughs> means. Um, and then the third option is just click on one, just pick one reporting opportunity from any one of the categories. And so that is actually going to not allow you to have any bonus payments, but it will take you completely out of the running 
for a decline, a payment adjustment. So indeed, those are going to be your three options. Now, I should mention, CW, that's if you do not belong to one of the organizations that is qualified as what we would refer to as an advanced alternative payment model or an APM. Mm -hmm. So those advanced APMs actually gain you access to an immediate and automatic 5% increase in all your Medicare reimbursement. So I don't know about you, but gosh, count me in if I can get that. (laughs) Sure. Well, from what I understand, there's only like a hundred of those organizations in the country. So it's not easy to, to qualify. How do you make it into that type of a group? Well, therein lies the problem. Actually, I think many observers, including me, were really shocked as to why CMS made this interpretation of the law and made it so narrow from a definition perspective. And in fact, not only are there only a very few organizations, uh, many of them happen to be in two specialties, oncology and nephrology. So for most physicians, it's really not an option. Now, interestingly enough, in the final rule that was issued in October, having heard physicians' concerns about this, CMS did pledge to open up what they are actually calling an ACO Track 1 model. So this is going to give us really a new, hopefully, um, option for us to get on that pathway. Because if we get on that pathway, that's the path to automatic, immediate 5% increase in reimbursement. And then you, in essence, let your organization, in other words, your advanced APM, you let them report on your behalf. Otherwise, you're going to be in the program where you are really reporting on your own behalf. When it comes to, now clearly, if I'm, if I'm in one of those types of practices you mentioned that would be inherently kind of in the space they would need to be to be in an advanced alternative payment model, from the perspective of choosing, you, you mentioned there were several different ways, three baskets you fall into. And one of them, it sounds like here, is somewhat exclusionary. If you don't fit it, you don't. But how do you choose? Is there uh, something behind the reason why you would want to select one strategically over another? Yeah, I think in my opinion, every physician has to really weigh the cost benefit of each one of the options. And if you throw the advanced APM on top of the options for 2017, they're really four. And so those are the three that I mentioned where it's full reporting. Mm -hmm. I'm just going all in partial reporting, and then just reporting one, just one item. And then your fourth option is, of course, if you can fit it, that alternative payment model, that advanced alternative payment model. And what we do know is CMS is basically giving us those options on a short-term basis. So I mentioned this thousands of pages of final rule that came out in October, but when you really dug through it, just ironically, it only related to the first year of the program. In other words, there's a lot about this that we don't know what the future will hold. Around that, I mean, obviously, we had some pretty seismic events of of late uh, around the recent election. Obviously, one of the big topics on that was dealing with the Affordable Care Act, the whole repeal and replace argument. Now that we've been implementing some of these changes into our system here over the past year or two or three, uh, depending on what we're talking about, what does that mean for this? Uh, should I, I, I would assume I need to continue on as if these things are going to be the way they are. I would assume that it's going to take us a period of time before anything is really changed at any rate. But how do you see that being the, you know, affecting this landscape? Do you see the ability for a practice manager or administrator to be able to say, well, we'll wait and see, or should they 
probably soldier on and continue to be educated and prepare themselves for this being the way we do it. Well, I wish I had a great crystal ball. (laughs) Unfortunately, I don't. But Ah. some of this is really uh, some guesswork. But in my opinion, given the fact that the Affordable Care Act actually has realistically nothing to do with what we just talked about. And that really is going to be the target in terms of the new administration from a healthcare perspective. And interestingly enough, MACRA only relates to the physician side of the industry, sort of what we would loosely call professional services, hospitals, assisted living facilities, hospices, I mean, I could go on and on, have nothing to do with this new new program. So if you kind of think about how the federal government works, right, they're looking at who's lobbying, who's influencing them. And because this program relates to only this tiny slice of the healthcare industry, I suspect that at least in the next 12 to 16 months, I mean, maybe we'll see something in 18 to 24 months. But my crystal ball is telling me 2000 2017, you better bring it on just as it is written today. And 2017, or how we do against these requirements affects my rates of reimbursement for 2019. Is that right? That's correct. That's a two-year window of time. And speaking of that, what's incredible is that 2017, we should actually have more consternation about what we're getting reimbursed that year because 2017 was set in stone by what we did in 2015. And unfortunately, that's behind us. But some practices are looking at 8 9 10% payment reductions in Medicare. That's pretty significant. Is that year over year? So December 31st, it's this. And then we start in January. Now it's that. If you fail to report in 2015, those penalties sure are adding up. Now, interestingly enough, MACRA, and there's not a ton of good things I can say about it, but MACRA actually does reset the clock. So again, we're looking at these pretty massive payment cuts in the next 24 months. And MACRA, the most uh, in terms of a reimbursement cut that we're going to see in 2019 is 4%. I think that's that's a pretty significant amount when you start looking at the rates of reimbursement that we're talking about. Just just a, a handful, four or five points is pretty significant with with regards to what that means to a practice's revenue. So how do they protect themselves? Just it's based on what you're saying, reporting is a big part of that. It sounds like as we've had conversations around these topics over time, it sounds like as much as anything, often we're doing the work, but we don't necessarily give ourselves credit with documentation. Is that what you're seeing here? And that that is the place to shore up is how well we document around these types of requirements. Yes, unfortunately, this is a situation where you do have to jump through the hoops of the reporting. And so um, 2016, in fact, is a very important year because Again, we're looking at some massive declines in 2018. So unless retirement is on your horizon in the next 12 to 14 months, I'd also really get on the horn for where we sit today, the 2016 reporting year. Well, when it when it comes to looking at the the, the QPP, how does it compare to what we've been familiar with regards to PQRS and meaningful use. It sounds similar, but sounds like there's some differences. 
Well, the intention of MACRA was really to consolidate and streamline the programs. And so you're completely right. We've had a number of programs at play. It started with ERX, which is now gone. Um, We saw that quickly fall on the heels with PQRI, which is now PQRS, the Physician Quality Reporting System. Oh, meaningful use, the value-based payment modifier. I mean, there's a lot of alphabet soup here. And so what um, the QPP was expecting to do under its pathway called MIPS, the Merit-Based Incentive Payment System, was really to consolidate and streamline those programs. But CW, when you really cut through the chase and you take a look at MIPS, sure enough, there's four categories of reporting, quality, cost. There is even a new category of reporting called improvement activities. And then the fourth one is advancing care information. So we've all heard that meaningful use is going away. Well, guess what? It's actually now called advancing care information. (laughs) It's going away, but becoming something else. Absolutely. (laughs) It's just a new name. And so again, when you dig deep under MIPS, I'm hesitant to say that there is a tremendous amount of streamlining. It's really a consolidation of those programs, but you'll find each one of those categories actually has its own reporting requirements. Now, the good news is, is that if you do want to bring it on for 2017, the cost category has been eliminated. It's been eliminated because CMS is really trying to tinker with patient attribution, how they're going to measure and compare cost. So they basically asked for a soft hold on that category. So in 2017, quality, ACI, which really is meaningful use. And then last but not least, you'll need to report on some improvement activities. When it comes to getting registered for the payment program and then doing their reports downstream from that, how do they handle that? Alas, I would love to know that myself. CMS (laughs) has actually not told us exactly how the registration is going to go. What are we going to do in terms of registering as an individual versus a group because they're offering both of those options? Hmm. All we do know is the reporting deadline is March 31st, 2020. And 18. Oh, okay. So you got a little bit of a time on that. You do. But it also gives them some time. And this is where, you know, again, I'm hesitant to really say that physicians can embrace this as a means of improving uh, their practice uh, versus reporting. And maybe as the program evolves, we'll feel more confident from that perspective. But at this time, we're all kind of sitting here waiting. All right, how is this going to play out? What is the registration process? When we look at the quality metrics, for example, what is CMS actually going to benchmark us to? So there's a lot of unknowns, despite the voluminous nature of the regulatory guidance we've already seen come play. When it comes to seeing reimbursement trending down, what I don't think in my experience of time when I was with the practice uh, a number of years, I don't think I ever saw reimbursement go up in that period of time. But I mean, when you look at that fact right there, coupled with the reporting requirements that we're talking about, the various things that you really need to have in line and in place, invest both time and some financial resources to get compliant and know that you're there such that you're getting reimbursed at the rates you should. There's, I've heard it posited that well, doctors are just going to stop seeing Medicare patients. So do you see that being a, a, a real risk here that more and more pr- providers of care, whether they're physicians or nurse extenders, will back away from the Medicare type 
reimbursement programs and just not see those patients? Or or do you see that not necessarily playing out to be reality? Yeah, well, a couple of comments about that. I mean, I hear that almost every day, but I got to tell you, physicians are top-notch people. And so the reality is, is, you know, oh, we're going to stop seeing, or there's, you know, lobbyists, oh, doctors will stop seeing. Right. Um, I find that most physicians would, you know, either be incredibly hesitant to do that or never do it at all because they're just great, great people. And this is why they came into this profession. So you have a little bit of a challenge there because you just have just wonderful, wonderful folks who are actually doing this work. And so from a Medicare perspective, I would also say that um, in many markets, Medicare is actually a relatively good payer, including right here in Atlanta. That's not something we could have said 10 to 15 years. So even despite some reporting requirements, wow, I mean, we could talk about our commercial reimbursement, but that's where we're seeing some uh, just fantastic declines across the country. Because on that note, I mean, I, you mentioned the fact that in certain instances, if you don't report adequately or you don't perform adequately against some of those measures, you can have a penalty. But similarly, if you do very well on the other end, you can be on the other end. You can get a positive bump in your reimbursement rates. That's absolutely correct. And in fact, uh, the program, the QPP, has what they call the X factor, which means basically if you do sort of better than the next practice, then you actually can not only gain the 4% that's on the table for for really a high performance, but top performers can gain a 4X. And we don't know what the X factor is because like many of the programs CMS has put forth, in essence, they're taking from the poor, those who do not report, and they're giving to the top performers. They're giving to the rich. And I'm talking about that <laughs> yes. from a performance yes, perspective, not from a dollar perspective. So those physicians who are on board with this may actually have a lot to gain. Yeah, because with that being the case, then you're talking a spread of a good amount, 10 10, 15% or more. Yeah, even more. In fact, I was talking to a great practice administrator came up to me at a conference and she said, you know, Elizabeth, I think I'm doing something illegal. And I thought, you know, I, I know this person. I don't think you're doing anything illegal. So she showed me her Medicare remittance and she was getting 37% bonus on all of all of the physician payments. And so when we peel the layers off the onion, we actually realized that she was one of the practices that was receiving the value-based payment modifier X factor. And so here she was thinking she had done something illegal. And in fact, she was being rewarded. Or they physicians, just did everything right. They did everything right. <laughs> well, clearly it can it can pay off in that regard to maximize the reimbursements that you get for those Medicare patients that you take care of. And again, as I've heard over time, much of the time, it's just a, it's not so much that we're not doing the things we need to do. It's just that we're not documenting them very well. Do you find that the EMRs are making some of those documentation and reporting functions a little easier now that it's been around for a little bit and they can begin to incorporate some of the facilitating maybe some of those reports 
along the way? Is that, are they doing better now? Definitely better, but I still think there's a lot, in my opinion, of kind of, uh, you know, really some opportunities for improvement. And it's one of the reasons I always encourage physicians, you know, absolutely take the information you're receiving from your vendors, but also recognize that it's really best to go directly to the horse's mouth. In other words, you should be looking at the CMS website because I have seen some misinterpretations from vendors and it's really cost a lot of physicians a lot of money. In in what regard? You, you're saying that the XYZ EMR company integrates what they believe to be requirements into their reporting structure, but it doesn't necessarily fit against what CMS is actually wanting to see, you're saying. At least yeah. perfectly matching. Yeah, some of it's reporting and then some of it's just simple things like if you submit, like one of the ways we can submit data for PQRS is by sending in these codes, like you would put them on your claim form. And so in some systems, it looks like you've done that correctly, but because the clearinghouse and the practice management system actually will ignore zero charges because these are really just sort of administrative codes Mm -hmm. that they never cross over to CMS. So here a physician's been doing everything right. It looks like it's on his or her dashboard, right? The little codes are put on the claim forms until you realize that at the end of the reporting period, it actually never made it through. It never got transmitted into CMS's hands. What do they need to do to fix that? Well, really being on top of their vendor and understanding what the reporting requirements are, making sure that ideally they're looking at all of their feedback reports from CMS. Now, interestingly enough, in the 2017 final rule related to the Medicare physician fee schedule, and that came out only about two and a half weeks after this macro final rule that we were just talking about, CMS is allowing a better, more flexible review process for appeals for those physicians who have experienced problems, particularly like the one I talked about where you've been doing everything right, but unfortunately the data just hasn't gotten into CMS's hands. When it comes to getting themselves educated around all the things they need to be doing, how does how does a practice administrator or a physician um, Where do they go for a good, reliable information on what they need to be doing and where they may need to shore up practices around their office? Well, great organizations like the Medical Association of Georgia are really able to provide great practice management expertise, uh, particularly when it comes to regulatory issues, kind of, you know, late breaking news, you know, here's what you need to know. I really think that MAG has a great role for the physicians of Georgia from that regard. And so, of course, we'll also see material on CMS's website. I'm a little hesitant to say, you know, use all of the media and, you know, the blog etc. Again, my my advice is it's a little bit much to dig through. You don't have to read all these federal registers and final rules, but please do make sure on your calendar, just once a month, have your manager or you just, you know, call through, spend 10 or 15 minutes looking through CMS's websites because they're actually laid out pretty effectively and it can supplement the information that you're getting from your vendor as well as great organizations like MAG. What are the real benefits do you think of having somebody such as yourself come in and work with me alongside us to get ready for this? Where do you see common mistakes that that someone such as yourself can provide some risk mitigation, if you will, in terms of how they're going about things? No, 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 we need to arrange this. 
Yeah, well, it certainly doesn't have anything to do with intention. In other words, I think physicians intend absolutely the best, but I do think it has to do with sort of the infrastructure, and I use the term jumping through the hoops. And what's been really frustrating in the past is, is to see physicians, you know, let's say there's 20 hoops in one program. You get through 19 of them, but you miss the 20th, and you've lost everything. <laughs> So it's really just understanding what that structure is. And there's all kinds of nuances to each one of these programs. And so really looking to an organization like MAG or, um, you know, a specialty society to kind of help you through some of the nuances related to your own specialty or even practice setting is also great advice. Do you have some information on where folks can go if they want to have you come by and, and consult with the practice to try to identify areas they need to maybe do something a little different or oh, they get an expert's opinion that you guys are doing things great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my website is elizabethwoodcock.com. And um, I do try to make sure every time we get sort of a, a very significant final ruling, I also post some newsletters um, on my website too. So that might be a great resource. Do you have any final thoughts for the medical practices out there that are checking us out with regards to how they want to proceed in this coming year as they go through these changes? Well, I would certainly look at 2017, as I mentioned, as set in stone, and then really spend the next 12 to 24 months kind of uh, making sure that we're completely on top of uh, any changes that we'll see. Because undoubtedly, with health and human services changing over, and of course, as you mentioned, the Affordable Care Act likely being reversed, there's no doubt that we're going to see changes from a healthcare reimbursement landscape. So unfortunately, just when we thought we kind of, you know, <laughs> had this in the bag, we're going to yeah. see more and more changes. Yeah. But steady as she goes in the meantime, sounds like, obviously. Absolutely. Well, if you haven't done so already, go to the upper left-hand corner of the show page. You'll see the Apple logo there. That'll take you to the Top Docs radio show podcast on iTunes. You can subscribe to us. That way, each week when the new episode comes out, you'll be able to download it and listen to it off your device whenever it's convenient for you. Uh, you'll be able to stay up on all of the important topics like we're sharing right here with uh, Elizabeth, giving some great information about how you can prepare for the uh, qualitative payments program as it's going into effect um, even more so this coming year. So make sure you turn around and click share on this information as well. You might just be putting some uh, information in the hands of somebody that means something to you that really makes a difference for them and their practice. So we'll say thanks in advance to all the folks that do that. I really appreciate you making some time to join us in the studio. Thanks so much. I know these are getting listened to pretty heavily as everybody's trying to get every bit of information that they can from folks who know, such as yourself, around how they can best prepare. So I appreciate you making time. And then all the folks over at the Medical Association of Georgia, we say thank you very much for being our partner and making great guests like this available to our listeners. And all the folks that made us a part of their day-to-day, -day, saying thanks so much to you. We look forward to catching up with you at the same time next week. We'll see you then. 